Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Puery, and as always, I'm joined with an advisor to GNS Science in New Zealand, Dr. Lucy Jones. We thank our individual supporters who help underwrite the work of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society through Patreon. Would you consider sponsoring this podcast for as little as $5 per month because your support enables us to serve even more communities? Simply go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Now let's get to it. Lucy does a lot of things in California and across the U.S. as it relates to hazards, earthquakes, climate, etc. But you also do work globally, Lucy. I mean, you just spent the last week in New Zealand as part of a science advisory board for the New Zealand equivalent of the U.S. Geological Survey. So tell the folks that are listening what you were doing there and how you got there. And I don't mean like that you flew there versus taking a boat, but how did you end up in this position in New Zealand? Well, you know, there's a lot of uh, seismologists in the United States that work with a lot of scientists in New Zealand. We both have a similar earthquake problem. And so I've known people over the years and traveled there at different times. And GNS Science, as the federal agency, is very much focused on how to use their science for the people of New Zealand. And they've set up an advisory committee and really probably coming out of my work with the city of Los Angeles and my reputation of working with policy is part of how they asked me to come in and be an advisor about their science focused on policy. And what exactly is GNS science? What does the GNS stand for? It's actually came out of geological and nuclear sciences. It was a merging of a couple of different organizations in New Zealand. Like the USGS and the geological surveys in most countries of the world, the organization was begun to develop mineral and fossil fuel resources in the country. As we have moved away from much mining or indeed a lot of fossil fuel work, Many geological surveys have had to figure out their future. Several have been closed. And for New Zealand, they are having to pivot like all of the other ones are, but are probably doing it more successfully than many of the locations in the world. It's complicated because of the merge with the nuclear science part and how Crown Research Institutes are structured within New Zealand. But much of what they're trying to do is about the public good. And they are finding these mechanisms for focusing it on the public good and getting it funded. And how has New Zealand, maybe compared to the U.S. or other places, faced that challenge of focusing on the public good? I mean, I interrupted myself there because every science agencies, at least the ones in the U.S., whether state or federal, are all about science and service, right? Generally speaking, that's what the purpose is. Generally speaking, yes. But in application... Most individual scientists want to do their work because it's great science that's going to get them published. Scientists are human beings, and they're pretty smart human beings, and they respond to the reward system that they are presented with. And if they are promoted because they got their papers published in the great journals, that's going to be their focus, not on whether somebody can use it. So what's happened in New Zealand is they have developed a structure and said, yes, go do great science, but we are doing this because of people. And in fact, their chief scientist made a point of saying, we do our work because there are people on the surfaces of the earth, not because the earth has a surface. And they've explicitly defined their goals out of the UN sustainability goals as adopted in New Zealand. So they are focused on issues of clean water, 
affordable and clean energy, climate action, and sustainable cities. And that's a global mandate, right, for the entire earth, all all government bodies through the UN. What did this trip reveal about the work being done here in the US comparatively? What they've done is they've taken this different approach where at the center are the sustainable goals. How do the science come out of that? Whereas for many of our organizations within the United States, they were structured around the science and shifting it to how it should be supporting the people is often an add-on. Now, I mean, New Zealand's a smaller country, and I think that because of that, they've been able to shift more successfully. The science is still the same. They are doing world-class work in various areas that they have particular expertise in, but they are doing it for a reason. And there is an explicit effort to connect the results of the science to the people who can use it. Make it real. Okay, we've talked abstractly here about what they're trying to do in their approach. But what examples did you see just in the last week when you were in New Zealand that really resonated with you that drives this home for those that aren't immersed in it like you are all the time? One of them began with a quite esoteric question, how do you date the age of water? And it's as many dating things come out of radioisotopes so that there are other isotopes of hydrogen, deuterium and tritium, and measuring the decay of tritium that's tied up in water can actually get you the age of the water. It requires really difficult radioisotopic chemistry techniques. And they've got this world-class program about it. But then they have used it to look at the groundwater in New Zealand and date the age of groundwater. I mean, that, that seems sort of weird. Why would you be doing that? But there are places where the water only got into the ground within the last 10 years as it transitions through a high flowing area. There are other places where it's 100, 200 years. And in fact, there are some places where the groundwater can be approaching a million years old. This is relevant because they showed us one example for a particular iwi, which is the governing unit within a Maori community, where they had actually lost their stream. The water had gotten pumped out enough that it had actually disappeared. The reason it turned out is because they were assuming that the groundwater was coming from a place where it wasn't. And by using these dates, they could show that there was an area that just wasn't getting fed in the way they thought it was. And they were able to redirect groundwater and bring the stream back. There's another area where they've been starting to see contamination. So they started controlling what was coming out of farms that was the source of the contamination. And it wasn't making a difference. Well, they got in and looked and the groundwater was 150 years old. So the contamination they were starting to see was actually from practices in the 19th century. And their immediate changes aren't going to make a difference. So they're going to have to take a different approach to how to manage that groundwater. So the whole thing of how to make a healthy community with healthy, clean water, you need to know that system. And it's based on fundamental geology because you need to understand the stratigraphy through which the groundwater is moving. So they've been able to integrate geology and turn it into a result. Very practical for these areas. So you've got this great example of taking science and making a really hyper-local example that helps one very specific community. And that can be applied to other places as that issue arises. Is this work really that hyperlocal across the country, or is there something different here? No, they have other programs like their Global Change Through Time program. They both look at their local situation of how lakes have responded as the climate has shifted back and forth, because they need to figure out what's coming next as we change the climate much more rapidly. 
But they're also helping on the global scale. A lot of the research in the Antarctic is connected in through New Zealand. And I, I visited an ice core lab where they literally drill into the ice in Antarctica form cores that they then take out and keep in this ultra cold freezer. It was, what was it? Minus 60 degrees centigrade in the freezer they took us into. And then they can melt it. The ice cores have trapped air that were trapped when the ice was formed at some time in the past. And they can date the air through oxygen isotopes. They can measure the level of carbon dioxide that's available there, other chemical measures. And this is like this fundamental research to look at how carbon dioxide and temperature have interacted over the last million years, actually. And from that, get a lot better expressions. The other part they're really looking at there is how the Ross ice shelf is melting, because when that one collapses, we're going to have a sudden sea level rise. And they're part of the team that's monitoring it and trying to know when it's going to happen. And then they have this whole other set of research in earthquakes and volcanoes, which you'd think would be more my interest. And there's a program where they have great fundamental science. I mean, some of the best statistics work comes out of New Zealand, but they've then turned it into really practical risk assessments that they have then engaged the social scientists to communicate effectively. The USGS is studying how New Zealand goes about doing the social side of those communications because, and again, in that smaller group, they've been able to pivot and really focus on that aspect. It's pretty clear that these issues that are being faced by societies, not just in New Zealand, but around the globe are monumental. Earthquakes, climate, et cetera, water quality. And, and the reason that we have the sustainable development goals from the UN, because these are real issues for the future of our civilization, our societies. The work that each nation has undertaken is notable. I mean, everybody's making progress in their own way, but it's really dramatically apparent as you're discussing and presenting that in a country that is the size of New Zealand, just over 5 million people and about a third smaller than the state of California, that these focus outcomes on the impact of people on society, that's where the evidence is clear. It's prominent, it's notable, and it's admirable. Yeah. And I think, I mean, part of it is a smaller country. They've been able to pivot more quickly and get to where I think a lot of us want to be. A lot of scientists get really nervous when the goal for their work is anything but pure knowledge. Applied science is somehow less than theoretical science. GNS had to struggle to move in this direction. They had the scientists really wary that they were just trying to sell their products. And what did this mean? What's happening is they've been able to complete the move because of their greater flexibility. And the scientists really have discovered that applied doesn't mean less. Applied can include really fundamental science and physics and chemistry, but there's a reason why people are supporting it, and it is leading to actual benefit to real people. It was inspiring to me to see how these scientists that I know five years ago were skeptical have been able to see the advantage. And, you know, guess what? They're getting more funding. They're really positive with the ministries because the ministries can now see what they're getting out of getting the science done. It's a win-win for the whole community. We'll leave it there for now. And so until next time, I'm John Bwery with Dr. Lucy Jones and you getting through it. Getting Through It is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online to get past shows and become a supporter at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search in Dr. Lucy Jones. Our music is performed by Josh Lee 
And this closing music is written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones. Mm-hmm.